The book of Genesis lays out the foundation for all of Scripture, allowing us to see God's handiwork in creation, man's rebellion in the fall, and God's global judgment in the flood. These three events in history have changed everything that once existed in perfection, and the consequences remain with us today. But just how has the world changed since that time? And what is it we can learn from these events that can help us know God better, especially when many today are denying that God even exists? Welcome to this week's broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation from the Institute for Creation Research. This month we take a closer look at what happened in the early chapters of Genesis and why those events matter to us in a three-part series titled The Case for Creation, presented by Dr. Henry Morris III. Genesis and the account of creation, the fall, the worldwide flood of Noah's day set the stage for the grand narrative of Scripture, which reveals God's plan of redemption through the Creator Himself, Jesus Christ. And now join Dr. Morris in part three of The Case for Creation. In every sense we see the work of the triune Godhead right at this very first day where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are involved in bringing into existence something that never existed before. And he names the basic elements. After light is inserted in some way that's visible, we're told that he made the night and the day separate. Psalm 89 says he created the north and the south. Something involved here that involves a magnetic and polarization of our earth. We function around this. We have a north pole and a south pole. Our earth is structured in such a way that as it rotates, it maintains the magnetic moment. So in some way, God brought into existence on this day one what we might think of as the earth's rotation. And in the process of doing that, he separated light from dark, and then he gives them name. He says, the light I'm going to call day, and the dark I'm going to call night. It's, it's sort of like God was trying his very best to make sure we understood he was setting in motion that which is the rest of our reality. And that same formula follows each day. Remember that? Evening in the morning was day two, evening morning day three, in the morning day four. So right off the bat, he seems to give us that information that he's setting in motion everything that we think of as our reality, our universe. Bible says that he did this to bring glory to himself. But what's really happening when God creates, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm, I'm the it. There's nobody else like me. I'm doing this for my purposes and my glory. You're going to share in it, but I did this for me. So in some unusual way, God is gaining from this creation. God who is self-sufficient, Remember Jesus said, restore the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. I, I don't understand all of these things, but in some very special way, for thy pleasure they are, and they were created, the scripture says. Of him, through him, to him, the scripture says. The heavens declare the glory of God. All of these things you should know. So right off the bat, we get this message. Here's the universe. Within it, I'm going to build and structure that which will bring honor and glory to who I am. In the book of Isaiah, he several chapters in there that talk about the creation. In one place he says, I'm, I'm the Lord. There, there's none else. Besides me, there is no God. So there, this is not an egotistical statement. This is a declaration of reality. And in the very beginning, on day one, he forms that which will ultimately tell us something about himself. Day two is kind of a weird day. The only thing that he does on day two is separate the waters that were part of the goop 
on day one by a, a, a space, by an atmosphere, by the King James calls it a firmament. That's one of the worst translated words in the King James, but it's, it's, it's an expanse. It's another word for space. Well, when Peter talks about it, he says this is one of the things that the deniers of truth are willingly ignorant of, that the world was in the water and out of the water. It's an odd statement. Why is this so significant? Why is this so important that God would take one full day to do it? Why doesn't there seem to happen more on day two? Well, there are a couple of suggestions about what it could be. Maybe a vapor canopy, maybe the edge of space, maybe the stuff of space. Nobody really knows because it's not there now. Peter says that world that then was being overflowed with water ceased to exist. We don't have access to that now. We can't go back and check it. We can't send out probes into space and figure out what it was. We just don't know. But whatever it was was significant enough and different enough and important enough for God to take a whole day to do it. Now there's some hints in some of the fossil record and so on that we can look at. It probably helped surface temperatures to be more or less even. If you've got some sort of a arching water vapor system of some sort out there in space, it tends to act like a greenhouse to distribute the, the temperature gradient. That would eliminate uh, wind currents, it would eliminate storms, it would, it, it would be, be a very different environment. Not our environment today, so we really don't know for sure, but it's, it's something probably like that. So when we look in the fossil record, we see not only big animals like dinosaurs, Big insects like dragonflies with 30-inch wingspans. How would you like that to be flying over your pool? There were big ferns and big trees and, and, and lots of big things that indicate there was a much more conducive atmospheric issue. Cosmology was different. Peter uses the word cosmos when he says that ordered system back then was destroyed. So whatever God did on day two, he made it so that it was good so that things would work for a long time. Now on the third day basically all he does is organize and make it pretty. He brings the goopy dirt into land, he brings the waters into seas, structures it if you will, and then once he's got it organized that way he says to the earth, have babies. Oh, that's interesting, it comes out brought forth in the nice King James or something like that in your Bible, but it's really a verb form that says to the earth, to the dirt, to the matter, produce babies. And he identifies them as herbs and grasses and trees, kind of categorize them into three big categories. And they were to have seed in themselves, that is they were to be mature and functioning and reproducing. There's no indication here that plants are alive. Now don't get mad at me, but there's no indication that there was life here, just reproducibility. Did you know that some rocks can reproduce? Did, did you know that? Crystals do that. Well, it's just dirt in a very special form that has, well, God says it's for food. So he's preparing the earth in a way that will later sustain the living thing. And then on day four, he makes the time references. Now the word here is a big change in word choices. On day one, he uses a word we would almost translate light energy. On day four, he uses a word that means light holders or light receptacle. He doesn't use create here, he uses make or shape. So he makes and shapes light holders 
out of the light that was brought into existence on day one, and we now have a time reference structure, and from the language of God himself, he says, look, these are for days and for seasons, for times and for years, not for like religious astrology seasons, but for summer and winter and fall and that sort of stuff. And there's a time reference structure set up here so that we can begin to understand what time is all about. And then he just kind of adds this little parenthetic comment. He made the stars also. Talk about an understatement. <laughs> we are just now beginning to grasp the immensity of the universe. We can't measure it. It's, it, it's just beyond our ability to grasp. Well, we got all kinds of guesswork, but the bigger our telescopes are, the more powerful they are, the more capable they are, the more stars we find. And the scripture says he knows every one of their names. There, there are more galaxies than there are people that have ever lived and died. And there are more stars and galaxies than ever people lived or died. <laughs> what did God do that for? To bring him glory, the scripture says. Now on day five, we encounter the word bara again. God creates life. And he focuses it on air creatures and water creatures. A number of Hebrew terms, I'm not going to go through them now. This can look at the notes and look them up on your own. But essentially, it gives us a description now of why they're different than the earth babies. They can move. They have self-awareness. So there's something different in what God is doing here. Once again, he places this kind limit, whatever that is, on the reproducibility of the critters. When he talks about the great whales, it's really the Hebrew word for monster, for dragon. When Job is instructed by God, Job is a contemporary with Abraham after the flood, and Job knew these creatures. Here's a summary, maybe. The ability of life to see and to know and to understand self-awareness, the ability of life, we call it soul in our English translations, feeling, emotions, all of those things are involved up in that word. Then there's the spirit, the mental consciousness, the ability to, to think and analyze and respond. That's life. Day five is where it begins. Day six, he makes the land critters as well, which would include the cattle and the beast of the earth and some big ones. Job talks about behemoth, monstrosities that we call dinosaurs. Job knew them. God was talking to Job and he said, look at this behemoth. He's the chief of all my ways. His bones are like brass. He drinks up a river. His tail's like a cedar tree. Can you handle that critter? See, God does some things, remember the purpose, just to bring him glory. Oh, we've got the image and likeness, that's you and me. We bear his form and his image. It has something to do with how we're shaped. It has something to do with how we respond. It's dead now, we're told, dead in trespasses and sins. But we bear his image even in the deadness. It's not just that we're better than the animals. We're very different. We think differently. We respond differently. We worship we sing with words. We respond in thought processes. Animals have instinct. They don't have analytical ability. An orangutan may look like your Uncle Harry, but he is not your Uncle Harry, and you know that. <laughs> you, can, you can see the difference. There's something about what God did when he bara now, the third time that verb is used, his image. In Exodus, he tells us we're to remember that rest day. By the way, the word Sabbath does not mean Saturday or seven. 
means rest. There were lots of rest days in the Old Testament. Jesus told the guys that were the smart alecks of the religious day that he lived in that the Sabbath was not made for us to do something for God. It was made for our benefit. Sabbath was made for man. God did something for us. And when you look at the way the seven-day work week works, it's not part of the astronomical clock. The lunar month, the solar year, none of those are divisible by seven. It's just something that God designed into the creation for us, for you and me. So he says, I want you to remember this and do it every seventh day. Not every Saturday, but every seventh day. You rest just like I did. And then he concludes, it's all very good. But when God finishes, he says, this is good. Not only good, but very good. And when he had completed it all, he had designed that which was perfect in his mind, perfect in his ideas, perfect in his pleasure, perfect in all of his plans. And when you and I ultimately are the beneficiaries of what we think of as heaven, there will be the implementation once again of that perfection. Eternity will reveal just how perfect God's plan really is, both in His creation and in His offer of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the third and final broadcast of The Case for Creation by Dr. Henry Morris III on Science, Scripture, and Salvation. For over 40 years, the Institute for Creation Research has been exploring, defending, and teaching the wonders of God's creation through scientific research, graduate education, and innovative resources designed to help you understand and maintain confidence in God's Word. And during the month of January, we'd like to let you know about a brand new audio resource from ICR titled, The Genesis Record Audio Series. This 10-disc box set features the teaching of ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris, in a vintage recording of his signature series on the book of Genesis. Call 1-800-628-7640 to order your copy today or visit online at icr.org. Ask about a free subscription to our monthly magazine, Acts and Facts. Thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation.